Hey, thanks for downloading. If you're interested in my travels outside of movies, I just posted about my recent trip to Texas on my website, tracknerds.com. It's not just like looking at someone else's vacation pictures, at least I hope not. I try to make it entertaining and enlightening, and I guess you can be the judge. I also wanted to throw out another plug for the History Through Film podcast with through spelled T-H-R-U, a podcast I ran across simply because our titles were so similar. Many coincidences here. Not only are our titles similar, but we debuted at roughly the same time and both happen to be based in Kansas and both work at Kansas high schools. History Through Film is hosted by Curtis Allen, a teacher at Spring Hill High School, who started his podcast based around a class he teaches, where he uses movies to connect students to history from all angles, including not only the film's subject matter, but also the context of the world at the time the movie was created. Basically, it's a class I'm extremely jealous I was never able to take. So if you enjoy my show, check his out as well. Hello and welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. Today we are discussing The Physician, a 2013 film featuring Ben Kingsley. When I sat down to watch it, I frankly assumed it was a foreign film because I had never heard of it and most of it takes place in Persia. But no, the entire thing is in English. It does seem to have been a German production, and for whatever reason, I guess it just failed to get an American theatrical release. It only has two critics' reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and I'll go ahead and give my review at front. It's a really solid movie. I'm not saying it deserved uh, Oscar attention or anything, but it also doesn't have anything significantly wrong with it, from a filmmaking standpoint anyway. The Rotten Tomatoes audience score is a 73. You can stream it on Netflix. Uh, Go and watch it real quick and tell me what you think. I'll wait. Yeah, you're back. See? Crazy, right? Not a bad flick. Now, in case you didn't go watch it just now, I'll go ahead and give a quick rundown. I have kind of stopped giving spoiler alerts, but I also figure I'm openly recapping each movie in a way that gives you plenty of time to pause, if, if you'd rather. And frankly, I don't think many of the movies on this list are the kind where spoilers really hurt the experience of watching them. So, The Physician opens in 1021 CE in England. We were last in England about 500 years earlier, during the legendary times of King Arthur. And I briefly mentioned Alfred the Great in last week's episode. Alfred had stopped the advance of the Danish Vikings, but they still held substantial territory known as the Danelaw. The Danes and the English toggled control back and forth for more than a century. If you look at the list of kings of England in the 10th and early 11th centuries, The English House of Essex and the Danish House of Denmark each had their turns at the English throne. Though there's no mention of these kings in the physician, as our movie begins today, Canute the Great of the Danish was King of England. But we'll get more into that next week. For today, England is just the starting point, not the focus at all. The opening text says, In the Dark Ages, the art of healing developed in the Roman era has been widely forgotten in Europe. There are no doctors, no hospitals, only traveling barbers with poor knowledge. At the same time, on the other side of the world, medical science is prospering. So our main character today is Rob Cole. We see him lose his mother as a young boy to the untreatable side sickness, as they call it in the film. We know it as appendicitis. Wanting to learn how to help people, Rob joins with a traveling barber to learn his craft. 
We jump ahead about a decade and Rob is now a young man helping the barber set bones, pull teeth, and sell snake oil type concoctions to the ailing mobs who flock to see them. Many curse them for using witchcraft or black magic. Some of what they do actually works, but a lot of it is nonsense. And I should mention that Rob Cole is fictional, but he will encounter a couple of historical figures later in his journey. Rob is hungry for knowledge and asks the barber if he's ever considered dissecting a dead body to try to figure out exactly what's going on in there. The barber immediately shuts down the idea. He says that that's necromancy and the church would burn him at the stake for something like that. Time passes and the barber is growing blind. More and more, Rob has to take on more of the work himself. They encounter a Jewish community that can supposedly treat blindness. The barber is wary, having heard they mutilate their children, a reference to circumcision. The Jews perform a cataract surgery on the barber and his sight is restored. Rob is in awe. It's his first look at true medicine. They tell Rob they learned their craft in Isfahan. Rob asks if this is somewhere beyond London and they laugh at how small his world is. And they show Rob a map of the known world stretching from Britain to China. Isfahan is more than halfway across the world in Persia. They tell Rob of the world's greatest physician, Ibn Sina, who teaches in Isfahan. Rob asks how to get there, and they tell him it's pointless that he'll be killed once he reaches Egypt, as Christians aren't allowed. Only we Jews are tolerated, they say. Still, Rob is determined to try. The barber is upset to lose him, but understands that Rob has outgrown him at this point. So Rob poses as a Jew, calling himself Jesse, and begins his journey. We jump to months later, and Rob is in Egypt, where he actually circumcises himself to complete the disguise. He joins with a caravan traveling to Isfahan, which is scheduled to be a two-month journey from Egypt. Along the way, Rob and a girl in the caravan named Rebecca take a liking to each other, but he is told to keep his distance. A massive sandstorm hits near the end of their trip, and only Rob is seen making it to Isfahan alive. He's initially rejected at the school. You can't just show up with no money and no letters of recommendation and expect to be a student at the best school in the world. But he lucks out and is taken into the hospital as a patient after being wounded and is treated by Ibn Sina himself, played by Sir Bing Kingsley. Ibn Sina takes a liking to him and allows him into the school. The student body seems to be predominantly Muslim with a handful of Jews. Rob also reconnects with Rebecca, whom he had thought killed by the sandstorm but she's getting married to an older Jewish man. Against her wishes, it's an arranged marriage sort of thing, which is why she was headed to Isfahan in the first place on the caravan. Now, while Rob is learning a lot and admiring Ibn Sina's wealth of knowledge, there's a subplot throughout the film involving those who aren't happy with the Shah. The Shah, the leader of the city, is the one who encourages the arts and sciences and embraces diversity of religion and thought. Meanwhile, the local imam considers this disgraceful and riles up his congregation against the Shah, while also conspiring with the more fundamentalist Seljuks that have been raiding the region. They've had enough of this learning nonsense and want to kick the Jews out of the city and close down the school, with the idea being, I guess, that serving Islam should be their only focus. Things kick into high gear when the Seljuks smuggle one of their men dying of bubonic plague into the city. This causes a huge panic, and many, including the Shah, flee the city. But Ibn Sina and his students, including Rob, decide to stay behind and treat the highly infectious disease. Rob asks Ibn Sina if they can cut open and inspect the corpses. Ibn Sina reacts just as vehemently as the English barber had. It desecrates the body in a manner against all of their face. 
And Rebecca also ends up in their hospital as one of those infected. Her husband has abandoned her to die and fled the city. Finally, Rob happens to notice fleas on all the victims and wonders if they are carrying the disease. Operating under this assumption, they burn all the dead bodies and set poison out for all the rats who carry the fleas and then burn the dead rats as well. Rebecca luckily recovers. The plague wasn't fatal for everyone and the plan worked. A little time goes by and people return to the city, including Rebecca's husband. Everything kind of starts going back to normal. Then out of a sort of frustration with their situation, Rebecca and Rob have sex and he does get her pregnant. Again, as life in the city sails back to normal, Rob is called in to comfort a man dying of the side sickness, the same appendicitis that killed his mother so many years ago. Basically, all he can do is ease the man's pain, and the man asks Rob to take his body and leave it for the birds after he dies. Rob is shocked that he doesn't want to be burned or buried, but the man isn't Jewish or Muslim or Christian. He is Zoroastrian and says his body is just the vessel for his soul. After he dies, it is nothing but a worthless husk. And I'm sure you see where this is going. In secret, Rob dissects the man after he dies, drawing sketches as he goes. He discovers the appendix in the location where people report pain during side sickness and guesses that this is the cause of death. Then, as movies do, everything goes to hell at the same time. Rob is arrested along with Ibn Sina, who are both sentenced for death for Rob's crime of necromancy for dissecting a body. Despite Rebecca's attempts to convince her husband that he is the father of her unborn child, she winds up accused of adultery. At the same time, the situation with the Seljuks and the conservatives within the city reaches ahead. The imam prepares his followers to riot, and the Seljuks prepare to lay siege to the city. The Shah has fallen sick, and if he doesn't recover, the whole city will be lost without him to rally his troops. He's been diagnosed with, of course, side sickness. So Rob and Ibn Sina are called out of their prison cell and charged with the task of saving the Shah's life or everything is lost. They perform the world's first appendectomy, and while the Shah isn't in great shape afterward, he is able to get up on his horse and lead his men into battle. But the city is lost. Ibn Sina stays behind as his school burns down around him, and Rob escapes with Rebecca. Time passes and we close back in England. Our old friend the barber is wondering why no one is showing up to see him in London. Is no one sick in this city anymore? A boy passing by tells him it's because of the new hospital built by the physician from the Orient, Physician Cole. The barber eagerly asks the boy for details as they head off toward the hospital and the movie ends. So again, Rob Cole didn't exist, and certainly they didn't perform the world's first appendectomy. But the Shah and Ibn Sina are historical figures. The Shah was Muhammad Ibn Rustam Dushmanziar, He's not particularly significant. He did rule a decent chunk of what is now Iran around this time, which included Isfahan. He was also a patron of Ibn Sina. The Seljuks were an issue, but Muhammad here mostly held them off. It was actually under his son and successor that the Seljuks overran the place. The Seljuks were a Sunni band of ethnic Turks that, let's say, aggressively migrated into Persia. They did take control of Isfahan about 10 years after the death of the Shah we just mentioned. Don't make me try to pronounce his name again. About 40 years later, at their height, the Seljuk Empire controlled land from Anatolia, modern Turkey, to India. The city of Isfahan today is the third biggest city in Iran. I should mention the term Persia is largely synonymous with Iran. Iranians speak Persian. And all these Persian empires we've mentioned over the centuries are roughly centered around modern Iran. 
Also, something that's never really been on my radar until now is UNESCO and its list of World Heritage Sites around the world. I'm going to blame my American education. UNESCO is the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. World Heritage Sites are basically geographical features or regions or man-made structures of great cultural or historical significance. In the U.S., for example, these sites include many of our national parks, plus things like the Statue of Liberty and Thomas Jefferson's home at Monticello. There are over 1,000 World Heritage Sites across the world, so I'm sure I won't mention every one we come across, but it would seem to be worth your time to check out any of them you happen to find yourself near. I bring this up because Isfahan is home to one of them. Nakshi Jahan Square, I didn't pronounce that right at all, Basically, it's a large public square built around 400 years ago, bordered by a couple of mosques, a palace, and a large gate. The Buddhist temple of Borobudur in Indonesia, which I mentioned in a previous episode, is also a World Heritage Site. There seems to have been people around the Isfahan area for as long as there has been people. Before the Seljuks took over, it also seems to have had a long history of embracing diversity. In the 6th century BCE, during the reign of our old friend Cyrus the Great, who conquered Babylon, the ethnically diverse Isfahan served as an example of his religious tolerance. But easily the most important figure in the physician is Ibn Sina, again played by Ben Kingsley. He was also known as Avicenna, which I guess sounds similar, but it's spelled completely different. Here's your word of the day, everybody. Polymath. A person with expertise or knowledge in a wide range of fields, so people like Leonardo da Vinci, Benjamin Franklin, or maybe even Elon Musk today. Ibn Sina was a famous polymath of the Islamic Golden Age. I couldn't actually find evidence of a school in Isfahan like the one we see in the movie, but he studied and wrote on everything from physics and astronomy to theology and poetry, and yes, medicine does seem to have been his main focus. Searching the name Avicenna in Amazon yields several books by and about Ibn Sina that you can check out. He claims to have memorized the Quran by the time he was 10 years old, and that he read Aristotle's metaphysics 40 times. When he was 18, he was already a fully qualified physician. Again, this was a thousand years ago. So he basically traveled around the region, practicing medicine, giving lectures on things like astronomy, and often serving in the courts of noble families. He was well-known and well-respected and the last decade of his life was in the service of the same Shah we met in today's movie. When he grew ill and friends told him to take it easy, he supposedly said, I prefer a short life with width to a narrow one with length. Which, let me say, what an interesting way to look at it, right? To think of your life not as something linear, but as something having a sort of geometric area to it as well. As he was born in what is now Uzbekistan, the Soviet Union in 1980 issued commemorative stamps on the 1,000th anniversary of his birth, and his face is on currency in Tajikistan today. There's a statue of him at the UN office in Vienna, Austria, and UNESCO, which I mentioned before, awards a prize every two years for ethics and science, and it is called the Avicenna Prize. I know I haven't really given details of his contributions to the academic world, but it's almost just too dense. Here are a few just to kind of give you an idea. He proposed the notion that Venus is closer to the sun than the Earth is. He had theories about how petrification of fossils worked. He wrote about the relationship between the mind and the body and on the diagnosis and treatment of many diseases. Now, what about the Islamic Golden Age as a whole? What was it? 
Basically, while Europe was still stuck in the so-called Dark Ages, the Islamic world was a place where science, art, and knowledge thrived. Just as the Medicis in Italy will later sponsor and encourage the art of the Renaissance, so were the Islamic rulers patronizing scholars centuries before. Some of these scholars may have even earned salaries equivalent to today's professional athletes. As the Muslims conquered new regions, they were eager to learn what scientific knowledge those they had conquered had to offer. In fact, many ancient works of the Chinese, Greeks, Phoenicians, and others may have been lost forever if not embraced and translated into Arabic during the Islamic Golden Age. For four centuries, the House of Wisdom in Baghdad served as a library and center for knowledge and intellectual study before it was destroyed during a Mongol invasion. The University of Al-Karawain, again, I'm not saying that right, in Morocco is the oldest continually operating degree-awarding institution in the world. It has been open to students since 859 CE and was founded by Fatima Alfiri, the daughter of a wealthy merchant. Finally, of course, our good friend algebra comes from this part of the world. The word comes from the Arabic al-jabr, meaning reunion of broken parts. I want to briefly mention human dissection as the taboo surrounding it was so important to today's story. History is a little unclear here as the practice may not have always been documented. It does seem to be something that all across the world went back and forth from periods where it was allowed and even encouraged to periods where it was frowned upon, if not directly forbidden. I couldn't find any reference to it actually being considered a form of necromancy, though. As to the Zoroastrian man whom Rob dissected in the movie, I probably could have mentioned Zoroastrianism back when we talked about the roots of Judaism or Christianity. It seems to be about as old a faith as Judaism and is still practiced today, though only by less than a quarter of a million people. It's significant as it may have predated Judaism with ideas like monotheism, heaven, and free will. Speaking of cutting people up, what's with circumcision? About one-third of the men in the world are circumcised. The origins of the practice seem to predate written history. In Genesis, I guess, God tells Abraham to do it, and this is why Jews and Muslims are almost universally circumcised. Outside of a few areas of Africa and Asia, the other place where it is widespread is the United States. Our European counterparts are actually rarely circumcised. According to the humorous educational video series, Adam Ruins Everything, it started in the States about 100 years ago as a sort of puritanical and ineffective way to discourage premarital sex and masturbation, similar to the more barbaric female circumcision practiced in parts of the world today. And everyone just kind of kept doing it culturally without thinking about why. There may have been times when it was considered a medical benefit, but today no major medical body either encourages or discourages the practice. In fact, some consider it controversial now as it's an elective body-modifying procedure almost always performed without the informed consent of the patient as the patient is typically a newborn boy. Moving on, I did notice one anachronism in the closing shot of the movie. As it pans up to an aerial shot of London, we see the Tower of London off to the left, but this wasn't built until the 1080s by William the Conqueror, so at least a few decades after the end of our story here. And that does lead us into next week, with one of the movies that inspired this project for me in the first place. I get to nerd out about the Norman Conquest and English monarchs. Peter O'Toole stars as Henry II, the great-grandson of William the Conqueror, in the 1964 classic, Beckett.